Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hey, hey everyone. I want to say good morning because I'm recording this in the morning, but you probably won't be listening to it in the morning. So hi, how are we? We have another throwback this week. I don't know what I'm going to do for next week. I mean, Teen Mom 2 premieres, so theoretically, I'm going to cover Teen Mom 2, but if Teen Mom 2 is not good, I might do another throwback and wait until the following week to record two Teen Mom 2 episodes at once, like the two new episodes. I'm just not sure, um, because Teen Mom is not a good show anymore. (laughs) So I'm just not totally sure what I'm going to do. Also, I'm going out of town. Um, Like when my next episode is posted, I'll be in Seattle. So I was kind of thinking it might be, I mean, for my schedule, it's easier for me to just do throwbacks because then I can record earlier in the week. I don't have to wait until Wednesday to record, which is like the last possible day I can record before I go away. So we'll see. I'm not sure what next week will bring. You know, I like I can't be sure of anything in this world. <laughs> I really can't be sure. So we'll see. Maybe I'll do Teen Mom 2. Maybe I'll do throwbacks and do a double Teen Mom episode or double new season episode in two weeks because I'm just not sure there's like enough to talk about <laughs> on an episode. It's been a while since we've had like a new season episode of Teen Mom. When did OG go off there? I don't remember. Time is truly a flat circle. But I'm just not feeling that inspired. But who knows? Maybe I'll watch it and I'll want to talk about it. So that's the plan. If you want more from me, go to my Patreon, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. And you can get access to like 150 episodes. Last week, I did an episode on True Life Ride in the Bio about the Terrio family who I believe I called them the Thoreau family last week when I was talking about this. This show is like imprinted in my brain in a way that's unwell. Like I, (laughs) this, this specific two episodes of True Life just like live in a corner of my brain. Um, Upcoming, I'm going to do an episode on Darcy and Stacey. I don't really fuck with 90 Day Fiance, but I did watch... Darcy's season in 90 Day Fiance because I was like really I wanted to get into 90 Day Fiance and that was like the season I happened to watch. I didn't love it. I have like issues with 90 Day that we'll talk about but I'm very intrigued by Darcy and Stacey and so I'm having my friend Maria on who is like the 90 Day Fiance head and we are going to walk through the enigma that is Darcy and the show that is Darcy and Stacey. So I'm excited to do that. I have an episode on Regine Carter's Little Wayne's Daughters, uh, My Super Sweet 16 that I recorded with Cara Berry. Not sure what order I'm going to release these episodes, but I have some fun shit coming up. So subscribe, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. I don't think you'll be disappointed. I want to dive into some more TLC shows, and I kind of asked on Twitter, like, what people would suggest, and I'm just, I'm not sure. I mean, I did... Sister Wives, obviously. I've talked about Plathville pretty extensively. And those are the two that really jump out at me as like good discussion shows. Uh, So we'll see. Like I said, 90 Day Fiance, it's just... I feel like everything on TLC is just like a lot. (laughs) 
it's a lot. It's a lot to dive into. So with that said, hi, everyone. I don't think there's teen mom news this week. It's been it's been really slow in the teen mom world lately. Oh, Amber. Amber released her book. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> I'm not going to read it. Did I read some of the excerpts on the Ashley? Yes, of course I did. Um, Princess sent me a text that was like, these are the, this is the thing that I'm most disturbed about. And I'll agree with her. And it's that Amber put all of her boyfriends on her bank accounts, like immediately. That to me is so wild because it takes such a left, like you have to do work to do that, right? Like, well, maybe you can do it online or on the phone these days, but, like, you have to actively, like, put someone on your account. It's one thing to, like, throw them your card every once in a while and let them take out money, but to, like, put their name on their bank account. She accused Matt of stealing, like, tens of thousands of dollars from her, which is not new. I think I remember she said, like, Matt took off with $50,000 in a bag. Didn't she say that when they broke up? And apparently, like, all of the cars she bought him went missing question mark to that because I'm like, I think you just leased those cars and they had to go back to the dealership. (laughs) She also claims that Matt would hit her, which I believe, I think I've always maintained that I believe that Matt and Amber physically fought one another. Um, I'm not sure who was like the aggressor in their relationship. I think it would turn on and off. Like, I, I'm not sure if I would call either one of them, like, the main aggressor in their relationship. But she also says that her and Matt got into a fight one time, and he shoved, like, a Vicodin in her mouth (laughs) when she was sober. And I'm like, that's the weirdest fucking thing to say. And I think it's a lie. Like, I don't believe her when she says this, because it's... First of all, she's saying that she's, like, sober during this period, which to that I say, mm, were you? I just, that to me does not ring true. <laughs> that Matt shoved a pill in her mouth. Because I think that would have came out, like, on Marriage Boot Camp, which I watched her season of Marriage Boot Camp. And she was, like, going at him. She was unhinged. Uh, She also says that Matt was, like, so mad that she wasn't the party girl he expected. And Matt gave a statement that I actually found to be pretty reasonable. Now, Matt is, like, a fucking con man. And I'm not going to be conned by Matt Bayer, please. I'm not a fucking idiot. Like, I'm not going to be conned by him. I don't believe everything that he says. But, and I don't even really believe, his statement is, like, I didn't do that because Amber was like sober. I've always maintained that Amber was sober. I've never talked badly about her since we've broken up and I'm not going to start now, which is true, right? Like all things considered, the only stuff Matt has really said since he's left Amber has been like positive stuff about her. He's like, I'm confused as to why she said I expected a party girl because she was on probation and we never went out and she sat on the couch all of the time, like, which was fine with me, which I believe. I don't think Matt was looking for like a party girl. That really doesn't ring true to me. I don't think Matt's like a partier like that. Does Matt drink? Yeah. And does Matt do drugs? Maybe. I don't know. I've always been suspicious that he wasn't really a drug addict and just, like, told Amber he used to be as a way to, like, make them relate to each other. 
But I just, I don't know. I don't believe almost anything Amber says. Like, she's just such a fucking liar. She is such a liar. She's such an abuser. But I believe that Matt, like, took tens of thousands of dollars from her. My question is, is it stealing if it's a joint bank account that she willingly put him on and let him have full access to? I don't know. I mean, it is because it's not his money and he knew it wasn't his money. But I I hesitate to use the word stealing when it comes to Amber's boyfriends taking money from her because she just gives them the money. Like, I'm not sure they need to actively take money from her. And are these men taking advantage of her because she's very vulnerable and has a lot of money and is willing to, like, let them in? Maybe, but I also kind of think Amber likes that. I think she likes to have the control of being the one with money and allowing it and not allowing it when she wants to. So I just, I don't, nothing Amber says really rings true to me. She also like describes this scene in which she has like a miscarriage that's really weirdly graphic. Like talking, I don't, (laughs) the stuff she chose to share is very confounding to me. It's just very confounding to me. So Amber, I'm not going to read your book. I'm not going to buy your book. But I mean, I guess congratulations on releasing a book. Amber's had a really good season of uh, Family Reunion. I think I talked about this last week, right? Where she's been like really calm, cool and collected the whole time. And I mean, I hope that is points to her doing better. I'm just not, I'm not so sure it does. I think that's like the big teen mom news for the week, Amber's book. There really hasn't been that much going on. So yeah, let's talk about our throwback episodes, which I'm doing season seven. We're still in season seven uh, because I'm still obsessed with Leah at this moment of time. I find her so fucking interesting. This period of time that Leah's supposedly sober, where she is being a fucking terrible person is so it's way more interesting to me than when she was like deep in her addiction I don't know why knowing that she has her boyfriend living with her she's in this like house of horrors I'll get more into it. I'm gonna save Leah for a little later but I just I'm loving these episodes I did episodes four and five um I'm gonna start with Chelsea and just like bop her out of the way really quick because this is truly like Chelsea deeply declining for me Um, I will say every time Adam pops up, I'm like, I think it was a really good choice for him to leave the show. Like, I think the best choice Adam could have made for himself is leaving the show when he did, because he's like terrible on the show. And it's easier to forget how terrible he is when he's not talking shit on Chelsea. He oh, he sucks so bad. But in the first episode, Chelsea and Cole are going to buy a house. And honestly, One of the only notable moments is that Mary comes over, Chelsea's mom, and she's like, well, I think Cole and I are, like, gonna buy a house. We put in an offer on a house. And Mary goes, how long have you been together now? Chelsea goes, a little over a year. And Mary grimaces. She goes, ugh. (laughs) I'm gonna have to get that on screenshot. I'm gonna have to screenshot that to post my Instagram because it's, like, (laughs) she's, like, it's so funny the face that she makes and the honesty that she has with this where she's like you're moving really fast 
Now, like I said, it's good that Chelsea and Cole worked out. And I think on one hand, we could be like, Chelsea knew. Like, she knew she was really serious about Cole. I think Cole, from very early on, made his intentions very clear that he loved Chelsea. He loved Aubrey. He wanted to marry her. He wanted to have kids with her. He was in this for the long haul. But considering the relationship that Chelsea had with Adam, and in my opinion, the lack of work that she did on herself after the fact, she is very lucky that she found Cole. Like, and I don't mean to say, I really hate when people are like, Cole saved Chelsea. I don't mean it in that regard, but I mean that the next person person that she trusted and let into her life was somebody like Cole. I kind of think was luck in many ways. I think that it could have really gone either way. And she got lucky that she went for the good one instead of the bad one. And as I said earlier in these episodes, like, it's just good it worked out because they moved really fucking fast. They moved really fast. They want to buy a house together. They've been together for a year and they're buying a house together And in the second episode, it's when Cole proposes. He gets her that very pretty ring, which it's it's so interesting how trends work because I remember at the time not really liking that ring that much. And now that ring is like way more in style. And I'm like, oh, I like that ring. (laughs) I'm so influenced by trends, but I guess at least I admit it. It's episode of Cole proposing. Everybody's so happy. Of course, we get that famous scene of Chelsea and Randy talking and Chelsea's like, Remember when I was sobbing that I would never find anybody, and now I have. I don't know. I just don't really find anything about Cole and Chelsea very endearing to watch. I think I find them so annoying and their personalities to be so fucking annoying that I don't care about their happiness very much. And I think I felt this way at the time. It's like, it's one of those things. I've said it a million times, right? Like, I'm happy for Chelsea, I think Chelsea has gotten what she wanted out of life, and I think that's good for her. But I don't find it interesting or particularly likable. I mean, watching her and Cole do those baby voices on camera, like, keep that shit private. I did not consent to be part of this kink that the two of you have speaking each other that way. And, like, you should keep that private. (laughs) Oh, goodness, Chelsea. Also, she's wearing her hair in this side part that is truly, I'm pointing it out like you can see, but like above her ear, basically. Like that's how side parted her hair is. Oh gosh, I'm kind of glad that we've moved on from like the deep, deep side part. Chelsea's, have you guys like looked at a video of Chelsea lately? Chelsea lately. (laughs) Um, It's, she's going overboard with the fillers and the Botox and she's really, and the tan, I don't think she realizes how much the tan ages her. This is not an indictment of, like, Chelsea's actual looks. This is, like, the tan that she chooses to put on her body makes her look 15 years older. I I do not get it. Her very harsh, dark hair color, the tan, the orange tan, the heavy, heavy makeup, and then whatever she's doing with her lips and her cheekbones... I think she might have gotten facial threading done, which I don't know exactly what it is, but every influencer that got facial threading done and has talked about it, it does not look good. Are there people that got facial threading done that look good? Probably, right? And we just don't know that they had facial threading. But like Jaclyn Hill, the makeup YouTuber, got it done and it looked 
so fucking bad. And Chelsea really, her face really reminds me of Jacqueline's post the facial threading. She's done something and it's just aged her so much. And it makes me feel sad in a way because I don't think Chelsea's ever really had good self-esteem. And I can't imagine how hard it is to like be an influencer and be known for being pretty, which is kind of what Margaret Chelsea has given herself, right? Like, really, Chelsea's leading to, like, that perfect life narrative where she's pretty, her husband is cute, they have these beautiful children, they live in this beautiful home. And did we talk about their HGTV show? Did we talk about that? We must have talked about that, right? I talked about that, that Cole and Chelsea are getting an HGTV show. I have no memory of talking about that. I'm going to talk about it right now. I apologize if I'm about to repeat everything that I've said before. Um, but one, I called it. I As soon as I started building that house, I was like, they're going to try and get an HGTV show. Two, it's like called Farmhouse Fabulous, but Farmhouse is already on the way out. So, I mean, that kind of tracks for Chelsea, right? Like... <laughs> she's like going to be doing a trend when it's like already on the way out is pretty Chelsea, in my opinion. Um, They have absolutely no qualifications to be doing this. Zero. Less than zero qualifications. And I'm not sure how likable people will find them. I I don't know if the show will be on HGTV proper. I think it will be. My understanding is that it will be. I don't know if it'll just be like on a streaming service, but... I think it's going to be on HGTV, and my thing is, it's like, I think people really only like Chelsea, um, people that watch her on television really only like Chelsea in the context of the Chelsea that we knew and seeing her growth, which I'm using quotation marks. Um, I think that's why people like and root for Chelsea, and I think without that context, the average HGTV viewer hearing her and Cole squeak at one another is not going to be very endearing. I think she works on Instagram. Honestly, a big reason is because you don't hear her and Cole talking. I'm sorry. (laughs) Most of the stuff that you see on Instagram, you don't hear their voices. Now, do they do stories where they're talking? Yes, but a lot of people watch stories with the sound off, right? Like most people, I think, that get famous on Instagram are not really talking a lot. They're posting pictures. They're posting videos of like things that are going on, but not necessarily them talking into the camera, which is why I think like aesthetically Chelsea and Cole are perfect for Instagram, right? For the type of Instagram that they're on. (laughs) Not my Instagram and not the people I follow on Instagram, but for like the, the version of Instagram that they're on, they're perfect for it. And I don't really think it's going to translate to TV. Now I, I could be totally wrong. Um, but I don't know how many fans they have that are going to, like, seek out their show. I kind of think the problem with, like, influencers getting shows is that when you're already consuming somebody's content in one realm, you're, like, not that intrigued by, like, other platforms. And that includes TV. I feel like a lot of influencers that have moved to TV or streaming services or whatever have had problems, like, getting their followers to move there. I mean, even TikTokers, like, cannot get people to follow them on Instagram. If you look at any big TikTokers account that will have millions of followers on TikTok, you go to their Instagram. They have, like, 11,000 to 
50,000 followers. And then in their bios, they'll write 1.5 million followers on TikTok because they cannot fucking get people to follow them, which is why I think um, if you're on TikTok, Maya Knight, the mom of Scott and Vi- uh, Scout, <laughs> Scout and Violet, the twins, she's like one of the biggest TikTokers ever. Her views are fucking insane. Um, I find her so interesting because she has managed to really create an Instagram presence that's actually different from her TikTok presence. And she has like, I think almost 2 million followers on Instagram now. Her engagement rate is insane. She's getting like 700,000 likes on some of her posts, which is mind boggling. So many of her posts have over 50% like engagement, which is just next level. And she has cultivated a different type of, um, like she really uses Instagram for the pictures and she doesn't post her TikToks on Instagram, which I think really helps her. Um, I think the issue with most TikTokers is that they don't know how to be on Instagram. And I think Maya has figured out how to be on Instagram. But the reality is, is that like people don't really like to follow influencers to multiple platforms. And I just don't know how Chelsea and Cole are going to translate to HGTV. I don't know how like the average HGTV watcher is going to that's like 45 years old and has never heard of Teen Mom and has never heard of Chelsea is going to watch this. These people with absolutely zero experience that baby voice talk to each other and Chelsea's going to be whining. Like, I think that this is going to be peak Chelsea whining. Chelsea has never had to work hard at anything. And full, like, I think Teen Mom is a job. I see all the time on Reddit, like, why don't these girls get jobs? And it's like, Teen Mom is a fucking job. I don't know why we pretend like it's not and why so many people, well, I think really what it is, is like this I hate to use the word jealous because I hate when people are like, you're just jealous. But I do think it's like a certain amount of jealousy that people feel that it's so unfair that these women do what they view as like nothing and they get paid so much money. And so like the response is like, that's not a job, but it is a job. They get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. That's a fucking job. Chelsea also has a job on Instagram, but she's never had a job that is like, deadlines, hard work. Um, I think being on Teen Mom is very hard emotionally, but I'm not sure, like, how is she going to work, like, in in design or construction? Like, how is that going to work? Cole can probably do it because Cole's had jobs. Like, he worked for quite a while before he met Chelsea, right? But how is this going to work? I'm... I'm curious to see Chelsea whining about, like, not being able to hit deadlines. I mean, I won't be watching it. 100% will not be watching it. But will I watch a clip that gets posted? Sure. So that's it for Chelsea and Cole this week. It's really... Oh, the one other thing I wanted to mention is that they post to social media and they haven't totally broken the fourth wall yet on this season. So it's interesting that they're, like, not acknowledging what posting on social media really means, right? They're like, oh, should we post on social media? And Chelsea's like, it's not official until it's Facebook official, like kind of as a joke. But the way that they're talking about it is how I would talk about it if I got engaged. It was like, should I post on Instagram for my 1,000 followers that are mostly people that I know in real life? Like they're really talking about it. Like there's no... It's not a big deal to post this on Instagram and that like they're 
Chelsea doesn't have millions of followers that are obsessed with her and like super this is going to be very big news in the world of teen mom and Chelsea's world so that's that's interesting to me I really like this period of time where we're not acknowledging that they're famous and they're driving these insane cars and all of them have Louis Vuitton bags and none of them have to do any other work outside of the show but we're also not acknowledging that like they're famous (laughs) It's a very bizarre time in Teen Mom land. This show only makes sense when we acknowledge that they're famous. When we're not acknowledging that they're famous, it's like Leah, who has no job, I'm using quotation marks because Teen Mom is her job, is driving around in a fucking Escalade. Like, <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, that's it for Chelsea and Cole. Let's move on after a quick break. Okay, let's talk about Kale, everybody else besides Chelsea had kind of big weeks in these episodes. Um, Kale has like a true double whammy, and I'm really trying to piece together the timeline of what's going on here because we know now that what we saw on television is like not really what happened. This is when Kale and Javi find out that Javi is definitely going to deploy. Um, in the first episode, They're still waiting to find out, and the whole thing is very much like, will he, won't he? They're openly talking about it. Kale is like, I'll be fine, (laughs) which made me laugh. She really only seems upset about the prospect of not having Javi around to help her with the kids, which is totally fair, right? Like, she has a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Like, that's hard. She talks about the fact that, like, it's going to be really hard when she's upstairs giving Lincoln a bath and Isaac is downstairs and needs something and she can't get it for him. Like, that's a 100% legitimate for sure. But Kale is so emotionally detached from Javi at this point. I mean, not sure Kale was ever emotionally attached to Javi, honestly. She's talked about the fact that she never really loved him, which I really believe. I think Kale truly did not know what love is at all. <laughs> like, I think Kale had no idea what love is. I think that Javi love bombed the hell out of her, was like, I will give you a stable family. And she was like, I guess this is what love and marriage is. And she never felt real love for him. But I I don't think in the time she knew that. I see a lot of people that are like, well, why would Kale marry him if she didn't love him? And I'm like, I think she thought she loved him. I think Kale is very broken and did just didn't know what love was. And I'm not so sure she does still. She says that Chris was the first person she really loved and I believe that to an extent, but I think it's more like uh, toxic relationship love, which is different than like a healthy love. Like I don't think Kale's ever had a healthy love and I think she would admit that herself. Kale's heard of the third podcast by the way. (laughs) Who the fuck has three podcasts worth of material to talk about when all of the podcasts are about yourself. I mean, I say this as a person with two podcasts, but neither of these podcasts are about me, right? Like, I'm talking about specific topics. On here, I talk about Teen Mom. On the Patreon, I talk about various, like, reality television and pop culture and YouTubers and TikTokers. Like, I talk about that stuff. 
I need to do an episode. I'm now I'm trying to commit this memory on like accountability TikTokers because they're having a really wild week and there's about 11 of us who care and I would like to speak to those 11 people. <laughs> Let me see if I can remember that. But like I can't imagine having truly even one podcast where it's just about my life, but also I'm not famous, right? Nobody gives a fuck about my life except in the context of like when I'm talking about reality TV. Kale has coffee and combos where her and Lindsay talk about her life. She has baby mama no drama where her and V talk about her life. And now she has this barely famous podcast where, I don't know, she has people in her life on to talk about herself. My thing is it's like get money while you can. Like she might as well have three podcasts, right? Like good for her, honestly. Like I don't mean this in a negative way. Like truly good for her if she's figured this out. But I just don't know what she has to talk about. Anyway, Kale says nothing this entire time about missing Javi, what this will mean for their relationship, um, anything to that regard, the fact that, like, her her lover will not be there, not just, like, her co-parent. There's really no emotional attachment whatsoever to him. We do get the famous scene of Lincoln yelling puta over and over again, which is very funny. Lincoln was a really cute toddler. And this is when we find out Javi is definitely deploying. Kale is stone-faced. And she's like, well, okay. That's fine. She keeps thinking, like, when Javi went to basic training for seven months and they couldn't even talk the whole time that he was there. I don't know how true that is, but that's the way that she frames it, that they couldn't even talk when he was there. So at least he'll be able to talk this time. But I think that Kale's, like, she's just so cold. She's so cold. I feel like most people, yeah, of course you would be thinking about, like, the practical stuff and how hard it's going to be, but also, like, your spouse that you love, the person you have sex with and you cuddle with and you have an intimate relationship with is leaving for six full months. That's a really long time. It would be really difficult for most people in a happy relationship. And I know that there are people that do this all the time for various reasons, not just military, right? Like, You can have an oil job or a long haul trucker or anything like that. But I'm not saying that like this should be a debilitating thing for Kale. But the fact that there is absolutely no mention of missing Javi as her partner is the biggest red flag of all time. I'm not sure I picked this up in the moment, but like watching this now, knowing how miserable they are. this is tough to watch. It's really, and I mean, they've come off those terrible seasons. Like we knew they were having major marriage problems, but in this like hindsight way that I'm watching these episodes, I'm like, the writing is on the fucking wall here, right? Like if your spouse is getting deployed for six months and you seemingly don't care at all about the emotional factor of them being gone, like I think there's a problem in your relationship. Like, I think there are some problems in your relationship. Kale is, she's just like, I I don't know what to do. They decide to bring Isaac in right away and tell him. Poor little Isaac is really upset about it. I mean, poor little Isaac. In a way, though, I think for Javi and Isaac's relationship, The way that this all plays out with Javi getting deployed was probably the best way for the divorce to happen for Isaac because it 
he got used to Javi not being there, right? Like, Javi was not there for quite a while when Kale let Javi, or Isaac know that Javi would not be moving back in and that they wouldn't be together anymore. So I think it would be a lot harder for him if suddenly Javi just was not living in their house and was never going to live in their house again. I think this might have been good for Isaac. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, and I, I have some questions about why they spent the whole time telling Isaac that Javi was coming home. Because supposedly, according to both Kale and Javi, when they filed for divorce, they filed to divorce before Javi was deployed. And that, like, they were recreating all of these, like, going away parties and, like, all of this I'll miss you stuff. Like, that was all fake, according to them. But what we saw on the show was, like, a child that was being told that his second daddy was coming home. (laughs) And, like, when you watch throughout the deployment, when they're pretending to still be together, like, she's talking to Isaac, like, when Javi comes home. So I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm never sure, like, how much I really believe them that they filed before he went away. Or did she file in, like, a fit of rage and then was like, I take it back. I actually want to work on this while you're away. And then she got with Chris and was like, oh, no, I don't take it back. Fuck you. And then she found out Javi was cheating on her while he was deployed. I don't know. I don't know. Because they talk about the fact that they filed before he deployed because it comes up in the context of Kale gets with Chris while Javi is away. But it's not cheating, technically, because they had already decided they would not be together. And Javi doesn't get called out about this as much, but, like, he was cheating on Kale, too. But is it cheating if, like, you have filed for divorce and the two of you agree that you're not together? I don't think it is. But I'm not sure, like, how real they, like, how... I just don't really get. I don't get what they're doing on the show versus supposedly what's happening in their real life. It's hard for me to piece it together. And I don't find that to be the case with a lot of other teen mom stuff that I watch in retrospect, like knowing what really happened. Usually it makes things make more sense. Like watching these Leah scenes, knowing that she had like a live-in boyfriend, knowing that her house is like a hoarder's den, like knowing all of this behind the scenes stuff. And like, yeah, this makes her behavior make so much more sense. And her erratic behavior makes so much more sense knowing what we know now. But if anything, knowing that Kale and Javi separated, divorced, whatever, before Javi even went away is just more confusing to me, to be honest. Like, <laughs> It does not put anything into context. If anything, I just like am watching this being like, huh? Are they together here? Are they not? Why are they doing this to little Isaac? I think it makes them look way worse as far as Isaac goes and the way that they handled the deployment with Isaac. I I honestly think it'd be better if Kale was just like, yeah, I cheated on Javi. I fucking hated him. And once he was gone, I realized I didn't want to be with him anymore. And I took an easy way out and just started cheating on him instead of telling him I didn't want to be with him. Just fucking own it, right? Like, just own up to it. I don't know. The two of them really confused me. So, at the end of this episode, Kale's talking about the fact that she had a medical emergency that she wasn't ready to talk about on camera yet. Um, 
Oh, wait. This isn't the end of this episode. I'm confused in my notes. They find out towards the beginning that Javi's deploying. That's like the middle of the episode. Then Kale lets us know that she had a medical emergency and she's not really ready to talk about it on camera yet. And you're like, okay. She decides that she's going to go to New Mexico to see her friend Sterling, which is, I want to talk about this altogether. So Kale reveals that she had a miscarriage and that Javi was not there for her and Javi essentially admits later, I think in the second episode, that he blamed her for the miscarriage, which that was hard to hear. Um, But Kale is just like really upset. She feels like she's totally alone in this grief. This baby was very planned, which once again, like I'm assuming my assumption is that they planned this baby, right? They planned this baby. She loses the baby Javi is not only not there for her in the moment, but then later admits that he blamed her for it. And I think at that moment, Kale was like, all right, we're done. I never want to have another kid with you. That's it. I, you have crossed this line that I will never let go of, right? Like, this is it. This is done. That's what I think happened because once again, it's confusing watching shortly before he's deploying. She's talking about this very planned baby they had. And I'm like, where are we in the divorce? I I just don't get it. So she goes to see Sterling and tells her about this. And this is worth noting because at the time, there was a blind item. I don't know if it was on Crazy Days and Nights, wherever it was, a little bit after this episode aired, that a teen mom didn't have a miscarriage. She got an abortion. And somebody in the comments of a fucking blind item site was commenting that Kale, it was Kale, in that she had gotten pregnant with Sterling's husband's baby, and that's why she got a de- like got the abortion because it wasn't Javi's child. And that rumor was prevalent for so many years. If you look on like a current Reddit, like what are your theories? What hill will you die on? Type of post, there'll almost always be a mention that Kale got an abortion and this wasn't a miscarriage. This has been like a very very like persistent rumor. I hate to even use the word rumor because rumor implies that there are multiple people like speculating on this thing that may be true. Maybe rumor doesn't imply that, but that's how I think of rumor. And that wasn't what happened here. Like one website posted some bullshit. An anonymous person in the comments made up some more bullshit and everybody then latched onto it. I personally never, ever, ever believed that. Could I believe that Kale had an abortion because she didn't want to have Javi's baby anymore? Sure. Do I believe that's what happened? No, I think Kale had a miscarriage. Full stop. Like, I full stop 100% believe that Kale had a miscarriage. I do not think that she had sex with Sterling's husband. (laughs) Doesn't make any sense. Sterling and Kale are still friends to this day, I'm pretty sure. They, or at least they were friends for a long time after this. And if if it was known enough that somebody would know to, like, comment in the blind item section, then obviously Sterling would know it and Kale and Sterling would not be friends. It just never made any sense to me. But it's, I think, worth mentioning because it's one of those things that has been, like, has never fully gone away. And a lot of people, like, truly believe it, which, I mean, fair enough, right? Like, anything could happen on these shows. Like, I think... That's kind of part of the problem of the show is that once you find out kind of how fake 
everything is, you realize that these rumors could be true. So she lets us know Javi's not there for her and the episode ends. So the second episode, it's Isaac's birthday. She doesn't invite Joe to the party and she doesn't think Joe's going to have his own party. And there's like a really, (laughs) a really weird scene of Joe dropping Javi off or dropping Isaac off. I'm sorry. And he just, like, opens the door and lets him in. And Kale's like, what the fuck? And Kale has to, like, give him something. And so she's, like, running out to give Joe this bag. Joe won't acknowledge her. And she's like, this is so fucking weird. I don't know why he's acting this way. And it's like, and then she admits, like, well, two weeks ago, like, we had this huge fight and he exploded on me. It's like, you know exactly why he's acting this way, Kale. Shut up. Um, So Kale, I think I fucked up in my notes. I'm really confused. I think what might have happened, I can't, because she's, in my notes, I put that she goes to New Mexico and she tells Sterling about the miscarriage and she says it was a miscarriage in episode one. And then I have episode two, because the way I write my notes is I write like Kale and then everything that happens in her segment. And when I'm doing two episodes, I write then episode two and then the rest of what happens for her. And in this, in my episode two notes, I have, she wrote, she has a medical emergency and she hasn't talked about it on camera, but now she's ready. But she did talk about it on camera. So I apologize. I'm not really quite sure the order of this. (laughs) My notes don't make a ton of sense in regards to this, but just so we know, just so we know, Kale tells Sterling about the miscarriage and then her and Javi have this conversation. I'm just not sure when that medical emergency line gets said. <laughs> Javi went to California when Kale went to New Mexico um, because they were not getting along. I think that this is really when they got divorced. So the episode ends with Kale and Javi sitting down to talk and they're talking about the miscarriage and they both say like this baby was so planned, which to me is surprising surprising because once again I can't tell like where in deployment news this plan of having this baby comes up we don't know how far along she was we really I we don't really get a lot of details except they let us know that like they got pregnant on purpose to have this baby at a certain time and it was like all going exactly the way that they wanted it to So Javi admits that he was really distant with Kale because he blamed Kale for going to the gym, which caused the miscarriage. And basically what he says, and I can understand what he's saying, but it's so cruel the way that he lets Kale know this because he's telling her like all at once, basically. After he's not there for her while she's going through this miscarriage, and she said it was like, physically hard she was bleeding for days she felt like she was all alone and I really I feel for her a lot there and weeks later day I mean I think at that point it's weeks later her and Javi sit down to talk about this and Javi tells her I wasn't there because I was blaming you and that's like I I don't know that he needed to tell her that And I understand his reasoning, and the reasoning is that he was so angry and so hurt by the miscarriage that he, like, needed somewhere to place his anger, and Kale became the target for it. 
And I can understand that, right? Like, I can understand that as a concept. I really, I get that. I think that's not a totally un, like, I don't think it's rational, but I think I can understand how it happened. Telling Kale that on camera for the first time after she's felt alone, I feel so sad for Kale in this moment. She is sobbing, being like, why, this is the first I'm hearing about this. Why are you telling me this now? She's just so hurt. And I, watching this, it's like, yeah, you can never come back from this. I see why they got a divorce. And I see why in that moment, Kale was like, I don't ever want to have a kid with Javi again. And if you'll remember, it was like kind of a big deal because she said part of the reason she and Javi divorced is because she didn't want any more kids. And then she immediately gets pregnant with Chris's baby. And it's like, hey, she meant she didn't want to have any more kids with Javi. And it's because she went through this really horrific experience with him in which he was not there for her whatsoever. And like I said, I don't think Kale ever really truly loved Javi, but I think that if she felt supported by Javi, they would have been together for longer and they would have had more kids. But hearing him admit that, like, I was not there for you at all, and in fact, I was really mad at you and I blamed you, it was just tough. I really, I felt really sad for Kale because she seems really caught off guard and I can't imagine hearing that information from your husband and having no clue that he felt that way and like what a punch in the gut that must have been for Kale. Ugh, Javi's the fucking worst. God, I rewatching old I'm like, I hate Javi. <laughs> he is the fucking worst. All right, let's talk about Janelli. Old Janelli is happy, happy with David, you know, happy, happy, happy. They canceled going to Asheville for Christmas, and Barb was surprisingly fine about it. And basically, the first scene we get is after a night of David's sister and her kids coming over and having a sleepover. Um, Janelle also has a huge scar on her chin at this point, because a couple weeks before, her and Tori were really drunk, and Janelle, like, fell out of a car and smashed her chin. (laughs) I don't think Janelle's a good drinker. So Barbara comes over and Janelle is like, to pick up Jason, Janelle's like, I can't do this. I'm so tired. Kaiser is yelling and Janelle's like, dude, I've had four hours of sleep. I can't do this. I'm honestly watching these scenes is so concerning for me with regards to Kaiser and then Ensley because it's like, it's so clear how abusive Janelle is herself and how completely incapable she is of taking care of children and how unprepared she is to take care of children and how she should not be responsible for the care of children. And it's not surprising to me that she ended up with a man that physically abused her children um, because I think that she, if not physically abusing them, was very much emotionally and like abusing them and being very neglectful of the children. I think when Janelle doesn't want to parent, she just doesn't parent. I think even currently, she seems to sit in her shed smoking pot all day long, talking about the fact that she's dying of multiple illnesses, including possibly having ALS. Janelle is, I don't know if she's a hypochondriac, if she's just doctor shopping for medicine. 
if any of this is even really happening, um, she says she has all of these doctor's appointments, but like, does she have all of these doctor's appointments? I wouldn't be surprised if she actually had no doctor's appointment, was just like talking about this shit for attention on TikTok. But Janelle is truly incapable of taking care of children and not just Jace. With Kaiser, she is this way. And this is why she needs to have David around because even if David's abusing her kids, I think in her head, at least somebody's taking care of them so she doesn't have to, which is... It gives me the chills. Um, So Janelle's complaining and Barbara's like, well, why didn't you get any sleep? And Janelle's like, they were having caffeine. I wasn't here. David and I were out for dinner. I come home. I find out my Coke is in the fridge and Jace has drank it. And so he's up all night. And this is when Barb says the hilarious line. Janelle, when Jace comes over, you have to hide the Coke. (laughs) Barb tries to ask about Nathan. Janelle's like, I don't want to talk about it. So it's time for Barb to leave with Jace. And Jace is having, like, a full-blown tantrum when Barbara's putting him in the car. And, oh, God, I just want better for Jace so bad than Barbara. I mean, I don't think better for him is Janelle, but I, I feel so sad watching with Barbara. The way that Barbara pins him against his parent, his mom is so sad. Y- you know, telling a kid, and I believe it to be true, right? Because Jace at her house is probably on a pretty short schedule, he goes to bed at a certain time. He wakes up at a certain time. He doesn't sit in front of the TV all day playing video games. I believe that his behavior is, like, rancid when he comes back from Janelle's, right? Like, I believe that to be true. But I think there's something very unfair with telling a child, like, every time you come back from your other parent's house, you're really bad. Um, it's like putting the blame on a kid that they don't deserve. Jace is, I mean, the kids are still very young in this season. I think Jace, Jace is still like talking like a baby. I think he's five or six in this episode. Yeah, because Isaac turns six in his episode. So they're still little, little, right? They're kindergartners. Jace might not even be in kindergarten yet. He might still be in pre-K. I wouldn't be surprised if he was still in pre-K in this episode. And so all he really knows is that he loves his mommy. He loves his meme. And when his meme is telling him, like, you're so bad when you come home from mommy's, what Jace hears is, like, mommy bad, right? Like, he doesn't, it, a child that age doesn't have the cognitive ability to be like, well, Barbara's just upset because. I'm off my schedule and I'm having a meltdown and that's really hard for her to deal with. And it's really unfair that I get to go to my mom's house and be fucking wild and crazy and free. And then Barbara has to deal with all the consequences of that. That's like such a common thing and people who co-parent, right? And that's what was happening with Leah and Corey, essentially. Um, I, I mean, I hear this from my friends that co-parent when one parent is um, – truly like a Disney parent and has no rules and then the parent that has rules has to deal with the ramifications of the child doing whatever the fuck they want for multiple days at a time but you don't like tell the kid that it's not productive it's just hurtful and it really creates like a me versus mommy environment not that there was ever not a Barb versus Chanel environment 
But Barbara really does her part in fueling that, you know? All she, like, I get Jason's having a temper tantrum, and he was. Like, he rips a piece of paper that I guess was hers. She's As she's, like, buckling him into the car seat, she screams in his face, truly screams in his face, um, that that paper was important to her, and she needed it, and why are you acting this way? Just an inch from his face yelling at him as she buckles him in. Then Jay starts kicking the back of her seat, and she's like, why are you doing this? And it's like, because you're screaming at him. Because you're screaming at him. And I understand it's very hard. Barbara's in a very hard position, and she doesn't have any parenting skills either. And I feel for her here, but it's like, yeah, no shit. That the kid that was already having a meltdown has just escalated like times a million when you were in his face, an inch from his face, screaming at him. And Jace is like, I am tired, literally verbalizing, like, I am tired. I want to go home. And Barbara's like, we're going to lunch. And Jace is like, I don't want to go to lunch. And once again, it's like, why are you going to make him go to lunch, Barb? You see how he's acting. He's verbalizing. I want to go home. And I understand sometimes shit has to get done, right? Like, sometimes errands have to be run. But, like, does Barbara need to take Jason to a restaurant when he's literally telling her, I am too tired to sit in a restaurant. I do not want to be there. And I'm not going to behave. Like, what? why are you doing that? And she's like, too bad. This is how we do it. I do everything for you. And I just want to have lunch. Like, it's just, it's not a good look for Barb. This was really... This was really a tough episode for me to watch in regards to Barbara and Jace. It was just upsetting, honestly. It just made me feel so sad for little Jace, who really has nobody in his life that can give him a calm, stable, non-aggressive environment. And they're surprised that, like, Jace hits, right? They're surprised that Jace attacks Barbara. And it's like, well, yeah, because she's in his face screaming at him. Like, no shit he's going to start kicking the back of the seat. Because you're being aggressive as fuck to him, so he's going to be aggressive as fuck back. And this is not me. Like, I know I don't have kids. I know I'm I'm not sitting here being like, when I'm a parent, I will never yell. Like, obviously, parents yell. I'm not saying that, like, Barbara is a bad person for yelling. But we know that Barbara screams and emotionally abuses her children. We watched her do it with Janelle. And you can believe all you want that it was Janelle's fault and Janelle deserved it because I see that mentality all of the time. What else was Barbara supposed to do except get in Janelle's face and call her a fucking whore, right? Like Janelle deserved that. 16-year-old Janelle deserved that because she was bad is the mentality that a lot of people have. Fine. Janelle was bad. But Jace is five years old in this scene. He is a five-year-old who was up all night, who has no control over anything, And you're screaming in his face when he's already upset, he's already tired, and then you're surprised that he acts aggressively back towards you. Aggression begets aggression. Escalating behavior by screaming just creates an escalated response back to you. That's why you don't hit kids, because it just creates a more physically aggressive environment. And it's also why you don't scream in children's faces because it just is modeling to them that this is how we behave when we're upset. So why else, why wouldn't Jace be fucking flipping out and kicking the back of his seat? That's all he knows. That's all he knows. And it's really sad to watch a five-year-old like react in the only way that's ever been modeled to him 
and see him get screamed at for it. It just, oh, it really, <laughs> poor little Jace. Oh, just so hard. It's so, it's so hard to watch. I, I think for me, it's it, like extra upsetting to watch Barb be awful because we all know that Chanel is awful. And in our minds, we want Barbara to be better. And she is better in a lot of ways, right? Like, at her house, Jace has a bedtime. Jace goes to school every day. Like, there is structure at her house that I guarantee you does not exist at Janelle's house. There are a million things that Barbara does better. But as far as, like, an emotionally safe environment, it's just so hard because I think a lot of us viewers were like, well, Janelle's awful, but at least Jace has Barb. And then you see the way that Barb treats Jace. And at least I I am like, ugh. Ugh, God. Okay, so we get a scene of Barbara coming into Jace's room. And she's like, do you know how special you are? Do you know how special you are to me? And Jace is like, yeah. And she's asking about the weekend. Was mommy's new boyfriend there? Which... Why she's asking him this, I don't fucking know, because Janelle told her David and I went to dinner last night, David's sister and all her kids and David's kids were here. Why are you asking this, Barb? You know the answer to this. Janelle told you straight up that David was there. She's not trying to hide it. It's not like, and I know I give Chelsea shit for doing this with Aubrey, but I think sometimes Chelsea does it because she like is genuinely trying to pull out information that she does not have access to. But Barb fully knew this. So why she felt the need to interrogate Jace over this, I do not know. And Jace is like, yeah. And Barb says, was mommy going out? Which once again, Barbara always already knows the answer to because Janelle fucking told her and we watched it happen on camera. And Jace says they went to a restaurant, which is exactly what Janelle told us she did. And Barbara just says... I'm getting kind of worried about you going there. Does it worry you too? And Jace goes, no. I mean, <laughs> what is, what is Jace supposed to say to that? You know, like, what is Jace supposed to say to that? Does it worry you to go there? That's a weird question to ask a five-year-old, first of all. The frame, like the phrasing of it is not conducive to getting like an accurate answer. But Jace straight up tells her, no. Barbara's like, well, do you like having all those people at mommy's house? And Jay says, yeah. <laughs> God. It was making me laugh, this conversation, because I was, like, so annoyed with Barb doing this to Jace. So I was kind of cheering on Jace, like, answering the exact opposite way that Barb wanted him to answer every time. And Barb's like, oh, you do? Wouldn't you rather it just be you and mommy? And Jace is like, mm, no. And Barb said, would it bother you if you didn't go over there for a little bit? And Jay said, yeah, it would bother me. <laughs> Barb goes, it would? Well, I have to make that decision. She also said, I think she said it in this episode. I don't, I know she said it. I don't see it in my notes. But she said, don't, oh, she said it a little earlier when they walked in. After she asked if, if mommy's boyfriend was there, she said, do you think that um mommy gets a lot of boyfriends really fast? <laughs> Why are you asking a five-year-old that? You know the answer to that. 
you know the answer to that. If you want to talk to Jace about the fact that Janelle is rushing into relationships and that you're concerned about that, there is a way to do it. That's not it. (laughs) That is not it. So Barb is like, well, we'll have to see if you can still go over there. I think Barb really thought she would go in there and Jace would be like, I hate mommy. I don't want to go over there. I really think she thought that and then didn't really know what to do when Jace was like, no, I love mommy. I love going over there. I love it when everybody's over there. I have so much fun. (laughs) So Janelle decides that she wants to see Jace. And so she starts calling Barbara and Barbara's not answering. So Janelle repeatedly calls her over and over and over again. She tells David once that she called Barbara 25 times until Barb picked up on the 26th call. She has David call her. Still doesn't pick up. Finally, Barb calls back and is like, why the fuck have you been calling me all day? <laughs> and Janelle's like, well, I want to see Jace. And Barbara's like, it's too late. And she's like, well, why can't I come get him? And Barbara's like, you just can't. And Janelle's like, well, if you had picked up your fucking phone earlier today, just like going off on Barbara. And Barbara's like, I was at work. I did not have my phone, which I believe. Like Barb to me is of the age that she would put her phone in her car which she says she did because Janelle's like, you didn't look at your phone on your lunch break. And Barb's like, no, I left it in my car and I didn't go out to my car. And I'm like, you know what? I actually believe that to be true. <laughs> like, I absolutely believe that to be true. It reminds me like when my mom first got a cell phone for the first like five or six years of her having a cell phone, the way that she would hang up a phone call was by turning off her phone. It was infuriating. Her phone just would not be on. And my mom's younger than Barbara. So, like, I, to me, that totally tracks that Barbara just leave her phone in the car and truly not look at it all day. And then get out and see she has 25 fucking calls from Janelle and doesn't want to call her back and ignores it a little longer. Who can blame her? So Janelle's screaming and then Janelle hangs up on her, which is just classic Jace or Janelle and Barbara. And this is before... They have the custody agreement. I do think it's good that they eventually got this custody agreement where Jace goes over every other week for the weekend. They have the time. It's planned out. Barbara can't say no or yes. Janelle can't demand him at random times. They needed that from the beginning. Okay, so in episode two, Janelle lets us know that things are going great with David. By the way, it's very weird to watch them. In any environment but the house that they live in now. For some reason, like, I can only think of Janelle and David operating on the land with that house. Like, I I just, like, can they're in this, like, little house in this little kitchen, and they just look so weird. (laughs) They look so out of place. It's so, they exist only to me on the land, Janelle and David. So Janelle asked David to move in. I was like, I'm pretty sure he's already living there. (laughs) And Janelle wants to apply to a surgical technician program, which I totally forgot about that. She's having trouble because she still has this court case going on with Jessica and Nathan. We get a scene of Jessica and Nathan. Jessica, I mean, I don't want to talk shit on Jessica because Nathan beat the shit out of her multiple times to the fact that she thought Nathan would kill her. Um, and I, after hearing what Jessica had to say on being Nathan, I'm like, I don't want to talk shit on her, but her hair looks crazy. (laughs) She looks 55 years old because of her tan and her hair, much like Chelsea, honestly. It's 
so weird to watch. She's like fully bought into Nate's bullshit. Um, Nate's telling his friends that he hasn't seen Kaiser in almost a month. And Jessica's like, it just hurts Kaiser. It just hurts Kaiser. And it's like, yeah, it's true. It's true. Jessica once again admits that she's keeping up the court case to help Nate get custody. <laughs> oh, Jessica looks crazy. I <laughs> I feel so bad saying it from what we know now, but I can only react to what I'm seeing on my television screen. And what I'm seeing is someone who looks wild. <laughs> So the next day is a hearing for the court case where Janelle's lawyer is going to ask for a um, trial and Janelle doesn't have to be there. So after the fact, Amy, her lawyer, who everybody talks about Dustin, but Amy is actually like the star of Janelle's legal life. Amy is her lawyer in South Carolina. That's why she had to get Amy because Dustin is a North Carolina lawyer and all of this shit happened in South Carolina. Amy tells it like it fucking is. She is not scared of Janelle. I love it. So Amy calls and, you know, they're talking about the case. And Amy says, look, the issue is, is that she didn't come into your house. And Janelle goes, but she was in my driveway. And Amy says, I know, but that's not how self-defense works. And the way that we're looking on it is that this is just assault. She says that Nate and Jessica were there and that she had like a a long talk with Nate and that Nate was the most clear headed that she had ever seen him. And, you know, Amy like hates Nate. Amy was like, Nate, you're a piece of shit. Nate, you need to get sober. Like (laughs) Amy never had kind words for Nate. And I I believe that like Nate goes through these periods of sobriety um, in these periods where he does seem very clear headed. I really believe that to be true. I think that's how he gets into these relationships in the first place. And then I think Nate's like the type of alcoholic who will go like six weeks without drinking because he has like a a bodybuilding competition or whatever. I mean, we literally saw this on his being Nathan, right? And then as soon as it's over, he goes on like a hard binge and that binge can last for God knows how long. Um, So I believe he was clear-headed and rational here. I also think that Nate is incredibly manipulative and knows what to say in the moment that makes people around him think that he's logical, even though his behavior doesn't reflect what he's saying. So I believe he went there and he said, we're willing to drop these charges. I just want to see Kaiser. We don't have to make this a big deal. We just want a custody schedule. Janelle is the mother. I'm not trying to take the baby away from the mother. Blah, blah, blah. And I believe Amy was impressed by it. Janelle is not pleased to hear this. (laughs) Amy's like, look, you need a custody agreement. You need to get a custody agreement. And Janelle's like, what? Why are we talking about custody? I thought we were talking about Jessica. Why are we talking about Kaiser now? The reason is because I'm sure Jessica and Nate, which Amy then uses in the trial, to be honest, um, Jessica and Nate openly admit, like, If you get a custody agreement, she's going to drop the charges. (laughs) This is what Amy says to Janelle. She says, let me tell you this. They've got you red handed. You admit to everything you did. There's no defense for it. And that's assault and battery third degree. You can't afford to have that on your criminal history. And I talked to Jessica and I'm going to be honest with you. She's a good person. She's not a horrible person. She's very kind and sweet. And Janelle's like, they're putting on a front, which, yeah, I believe Nate is. I bet Jessica is kind and sweet. She's just being horribly manipulated by Nate. 
She's like, they're putting on a front. And Amy's like, look, I deal with criminals all day long. I'm a judge of character. I'm a good judge of character. And Jessica's not a bad person. And Janelle hangs up the phone on her. (laughs) Janelle is so fucking mad. She storms into her bedroom. David follows her. We get like a off mic conversation that the boom mic outside the bedroom door is picking up. And she's like, I'm not talking about this anymore, dude. She's helping Nathan out. This is fucking bullshit. And David, the abuser. Oh, my God. Does David jump on this? Rewatching this, it's really interesting to see um, how good David is at jumping in to tell Janelle that people are against her or not on her side because he's like, she's not on your side. She's she's you shouldn't be with her like anybody that goes against Janelle in the slightest, David is like, let's kill them, basically. And that makes, he knows that's what Janelle wants because Janelle feels so abandoned by everybody in her life, her dad, her mom. She feels so alone. She feels like she's never really had anybody like completely on her side. All of her boyfriends cheated on her and would talk to other people and would leave her alone. And David, I think, was the first guy that not only didn't cheat on her, because I think for a while David truly wasn't cheating on her and wasn't talking to anybody else, which as far as Janelle goes, you can be as physically abusive as you want as long as you're not cheating on her, I think, which is so fucking sad. But David, I think, was the first person to like really understand what Janelle needed from a partner and was willing to give that to her in order to like get control in a way that I don't think Nate or Kiefer or Gary were willing to do. Even though they were all physically abusive as well, I think the reason that David has had such a long-lasting control over Janelle is because he really figured out what Janelle needed and wanted and was willing to give it to her at, like, his the what he got in return was worth it to him in a way that I don't think it was worth it to her exes to like do the long game and that's why David has been able to stick around for so long and I think that's why David has been so successful at like keeping her under his spell because I I truly think all Janelle needs is a guy not to cheat on her and somebody to be with her 24/7 telling her that everybody else is awful and she's in the right. I like I think that Janelle is so alone and feels so abandoned that David being like they're not in your corner they're not in your corner fuck them let's fight them I think that is like exhilarating to Janelle which is really sad really really sad okay let's talk about little Leah oh Leah 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 (laughs) oh Leah 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 she had quite a two episodes so Corey had the twins all week. He's getting the girls up for school. Everything's going fine. Leah picks them up after school on Friday to bring them back. She lets us know her lawyer has filed a motion for reconsideration that she would get 50-50 custody. Um, She's talking to the girls and she's asking them how their week was. Gracie starts crying. And I'm sure it really is hard for the girls. Leah later says, like, I don't think the girls quite realize how long it would be that they wouldn't see me. And I think that's probably very true. They love their mom, right? They love Corey Miranda, but this has been a really big adjustment for them. Gracie's crying and Leah's like, it's okay. I know you missed me. And then Gracie goes, 
you know what Allie told Daddy? Which, by the way, Leah is like full blown just staring at her phone texting <laughs> while this is happening and driving. They're in the car. And Leah's like, well, no, what did Allie tell Daddy? And Gracie says, Allie told Daddy, you make us not late and Mommy does. And Leah was like, what? We've been getting there on time. And Gracie's like, yeah, but she said that. And then Leah's like, Allie, why would you lie like that? Oh, God, this scene was so upsetting. This was so upsetting to watch. Little Gracie, I mean, they're six in this episode, right? Like, they are just reacting to what is going on around them. And Grace has picked up, and Allie, too, apparently, has picked up on the fact that Leah doesn't get them to school in time, and Daddy does, and that this is a big deal. Gracie has picked up on the fact that she's not seen her mommy as much. Gracie is upset about it, and I think Gracie has really... um picked up on the fact that this is like a major issue between them. I'm not sure Allie picked up on that. I think Allie just was like making a genuine observation. (laughs) Like, Daddy, I'm really happy that when you take us to school, we're not late because mommy always has a slate. Like, I think that she was just making an observation. But I think Gracie, who's always been a little more emotionally mature than Allie has been, I think Gracie like realizes that this is a point of contention between Leah and Corey and Gracie's upset. Gracie is in a really a state of upheaval. Gracie's acting out because of it, understandably. And Gracie knows that this is a way to like, I don't want to say Grace is like trying to manipulate Leah because she's so young. She's six. Like, I don't, I don't think it's that. I think Grace is just like trying to cause a stir for attention because she is really sad and struggling with her new schedule. Leah's reaction is terrible. It's fucking terrible. This is what she said. I wrote it down word for word. She said, first of all, you guys have no business worrying about what time you get to school. You guys just need to go to school. Let me and your father handle when you get to school. I have pictures proving, oh, give me those glasses. She like stops in the middle of what she's saying. And she says, no, we don't get to school right at 6.45 when the doors open, but we get there on time. And that's all that matters. You guys shouldn't even worry about it. Don't even talk about it. Do you hear me? Oh, my God. This is sober, Leah. Remember, this is so bad. <laughs> First of all, I don't think Allie was lying. The fact that she accused Allie of lying is so fucked up. It's so fucked up. That was so mean of her to do. Even if Allie is lying, like, being like, why would you lie like that when you already know the girls are upset? Mm -mm, Don't like it. Leah telling the girls that they have no business worrying about what time they get to school is so nonsensical to me. It's so nonsensical to me. I'll see my two and a half year old niece and she'll be like, Mommy picked me up late two days ago from from preschool. She calls her preschool by the full name. It's so cute. I'm not going to say it, obviously, but she'll be like, Mommy, Mommy was late getting me from name of preschool. Like, kids understand getting to school on time or not. If my two-year-old niece 
has a concept of where she goes every day, what time she's supposed to get there and what time she's supposed to be picked up. She alerts like she talks about who drives her home because my friend does carpool a lot of the times. Right. And she'll be like, more Sarah took me home from school today. And then I I got home later than my sisters. Like she and I, I don't think my niece is like particularly advanced for her age. This is like a normal stage of development for a child to understand their schedule. Kids understand schedules. And so Leah telling the girls, don't, it's not your business to worry about what time you get to school makes no fucking sense. That it was such a weird reaction. I'm like, what? Why would you tell them that when it's so the answer is so easy. Leah's just so blinded by rage that she can't see it at the moment when really what she should have been saying is like, yeah, mommy's really sorry about that. And, you know, I live a lot further away from the school and it's just been really hard to get you there on time. And I really I'm doing better. I'm trying to do better. And part of the reason that you're living with daddy is because you're closer to the school so you can get there on time. But I'm really working on us getting there on time. Haven't you noticed? And like you can even bring up like it's been a while since you've been late when I took you, right? Like I Leah's being like, don't fucking worry about it. It's like they're people. Like <laughs> Your children are people who have a concept of what time all of their friends get to school and what time they get to school. They know if they're late. And Leah being like, I have pictures, because obviously she, I'm assuming the lawyer maybe took her, um, like the lawyer took her, or told her, sorry, the lawyer told her that she should, like, have evidence that she's getting the kids around time. Because if I remember correctly, Corey was, like, having the teachers tell him every time that she was late, which is fine, because if your kids are late, you're allowed to know if they're late. And so I think Leo's taking pictures of like what timestamp pictures of what time the girls were getting to school. But for her to be like to the girls, like I have evidence of when you get there. They don't care about that. They don't give a fuck about that. Clearly, your daughter thinks that she's getting to school late, right? So why don't you talk about that? Why don't you talk about how it makes her feel to get there late? How about you talk about how it feels that daddy lives closer to school. Is it easier for you because daddy lives closer to school? Do you get to wake up a little later? Do you what do you think we can do at our house to make it so that we get to school in time? Do you think we could go to bed earlier? Like there's so many ways that you can address this and Leah truly handled it the worst way possible. So we get to see on Leah taking the girls to the pumpkin patch because she's like we need I need to do as much fun things as I can in this weekend as possible. Corey's talking to his dad and Corey's, his dad is like, well, you know, it's over now. And Corey's like, it's not over. She's asking for 50-50 custody. And even though Corey has been told that the chances are slim that the court will reconsider, which I believe is what happens, right? The court doesn't reconsider and it's not for a while that they come to a 50-50 type agreement. I'm still not sure that was ever like done in court. I think it might have just been an agreement between Leah and Corey. Um, we know she has them half the time now, but she did not for a while. And Corey was the primary legal decision maker. Corey is like, I've been asking for 50-50 for years and she would not give it to me. But now that I'm the one with the girls, the primary amount of time, suddenly 50-50 is okay. (laughs) He has a point. He has a point. 
she's he also says you know she acts like this is all such a shock and that she didn't seem it coming when she had so much warning over and over again we are giving her warnings and i think that's a very astute observation on the way that leah operates in this world i think that at least at the time and i mean she's like i said not that long ago she was still saying that Corey did not support her the way that he should have Leah still has, like, never acknowledged how her addiction affected her children. She has never publicly talked about the fact that she was so irresponsible with her children that she lost full custody of, or she lost primary custody of them. She's never addressed this. I think she still believes that Corey stole those girls from her. I think that's still what she would tell people if you could get her to discuss it. And she's, Corey's right, like, he... She knew this was coming. This was not out of left field. And she acts like she has been totally blindsided by this. Um, Corey said, says, you know, you've been through a lot. And Corey says, you know, I haven't. The girls have been through a lot. Not so much me. And I just want to take a little bit off of them. Look, I'm not doing that thing where, like, a dad shows an ounce of care for his children. And I act like he's super dad. But when you compare the way he talks about the girls to the way Leah talks about the girls, it's just a world of difference. It's a world of difference. It's all about Leah, what Leah wants, what Leah needs, what Leah thinks is best. Corey cares about the well-being of his daughters. He acknowledges that this is hard for Leah. He acknowledges that he wants Leah to do better and be in a better place. And the fact that he's like, you know... Look, this isn't really hard for me. I'm the adult. I'm okay. I have a wife I love. I have kids I love. Like, things are okay. Who it's hard for is these little girls. Leah will never admit it. I think she'll never admit it that she really did harm to her children for quite a while. And look, as I said a million times, Leah doesn't owe us her story. She doesn't have to tell us her story. But if she's going to tell us her story like she's been, yeah, she has been pretending to do for the last few years then tell the whole story and take fucking accountability for it and i say this from a play i think i have a pretty fair ability to judge leah on this right like i think of all people i have a pretty fair perspective on what she should and could be saying about her addiction and the harm that she did to her children and people in her life and it's just the dishonesty and the lack of accountability that drives me up a fucking wall it's the end of the weekend and leah is dropping the girls off she's like do you like the new schedule that you have and gracie says no and leah's like is it hard we'll work it out once again it's like this is not the time when you're going to drop her off at her dad's to be like do you like it that's (laughs) you had the whole weekend to sit down and talk about this with her and let gracie process her feelings and kind of explain more what's going on but leah has emotional maturity of a toddler leah also lets them know mommy has a hard time talking about all the things that i miss with you oh god and she goes what do you miss during the week baby and she makes both of the kids tell her what they miss about her during the week when they're at dad's what the fuck what is wrong with you leah she also says, would you guys be happy if mommy has the same amount of time of days as daddy does? I know you guys are confused, but mommy wants you to be happy. Girl, 
don't present that as an option unless it's an actual option, which it's not right now. So, oh, I guess this isn't the end of the weekend. They're just talking about it because it's the next morning. I thought it was the end of the weekend. I don't know. My notes are confusing. It's the next morning. She has to get the girls out the door on time. She has to leave by 6.15. They leave at 6.24. That's pretty good. I noticed the girls are sleeping on the couch still. Once again, do they have any sort of nighttime routine at Leah's house? I don't think that they do. So Leah is going to Allie's first choir practice. And it's the first time that she's seen Corey since the custody exchange. Um, there's an interesting scene. Corey's bringing Allie into practice. And Allie's like chewing on her fingers. And Corey is like... Stop chewing on your fingers. He, like, gets on her level and he's like, you can't be nervous. Walk in here like a lady. And I'm like, oh, God. This old school mentality that Corey has a lot of the times, I've noticed. No. Don't tell a child they can't be nervous. (laughs) Actually, she's allowed to be nervous. Actually, that's 100% okay. She's going to something brand new that she's never done before without her twin sister. She's absolutely allowed to be nervous, Corey. God, I hated when he said that. So Leah shows up with Addie and there's a funny moment. Leah gets out of the car and she's like walking into the building. Then she stops. She turns around and she goes to get Addie out of the car. And I'm like, did she forget she had Addie? (laughs) What the fuck? But then when she's actually walking into the building, you see that Dawn is with her with somebody's newborn. I don't know whose newborn that is. Maybe her brother's, maybe her sister's. It's one of her nieces or nephews, I think. I think that like, what probably happened was she thought maybe Dawn was bringing in Addie. I don't know what she thought. But really, in that moment, it's like, did Leah just forget Addie in the car? <laughs> There's a really funny moment of Addie just, like, sitting there, truly, like, disassociating. I mean, babies don't disassociate, but, like, <laughs> there is nothing behind her eyes. It's so funny and cute. And Leah's, like, peeking into the room. So Jess, Corey, and um, Addie are sitting there. And he's like, Addie, hi, Addie. I can see you, Addie. Then they play this little game of peekaboo. That's very cute. I thought it was, it was actually a really nice scene. And I think it shows that, like, Corey is not vindictive against Leah or any of Leah's kids. He just wants best for his daughters. Okay. So in the second episode, we get a shot of the outside of Leah's house, which I always think of when I think of Leah. That house is iconic. Her neighbor once took a picture of her garage truly filled top to bottom with shit in it. <laughs> like So much crap. That was like the hoarder's den. Oh, God, I love that house. So Victoria comes over and Leah's talking about the custody schedule and she's like, you know, I just I think four nights, five nights away from me is too much. And I don't think she's necessarily wrong because she says here, she's like, I just don't think the girls realize like how long they'd be away from me. And I think it is a really big adjustment for them. But I think it had to be done. Right. Like, I think you can acknowledge that it's a really hard adjustment and that this like went it's not going that smoothly and also acknowledge like in the long run, this is what's best for the girls. Uh, Leah's upset because Addie on the weekends goes to see Jeremy. My question is how many weekends does Addie go to see Jeremy? She's making it seem like Addie goes to see Jeremy every weekend. And I'm like, Meh. <laughs> I don't really believe you. And Leah's upset that the girls won't see her sister, their sister, if she's 
if they're there on the weekends and Addie's going to Jeremy's every weekend. And she says, if Corey was any kind of dad, he would think about that. <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Uh, so Leah, like, takes her or goes to the tumbling class and she went there and Grace just had, like, a total meltdown because she wanted to go home with Leah. Um, I don't know if it was a good idea for her to go to that tumbling class or not. I think it's totally fine that Grace had that meltdown. It's going to be a hard transition, right? Like, it just is. And Leah said she was melting down. Miranda showed up and basically, like, pushed Grace in the car and shut the door and drove away. And it's like, well, (laughs) what are you, what else, what is the other option? You know, like, Grace is six. She's having a meltdown. She cannot go to your home, Leah. That I think the only option that Leah wanted was for Grace to go home with Leah. I think anything else that happened would not have been satisfactory to Leah. So I don't take her word for what happened here. She's trying to make Miranda seem like a bitch. She's like, I'm sick of Miranda's attitude. But like, Grace is having a complete meltdown. They have to get home. Sometimes you have to put the six-year-old in the car and let her cry right? Like, Grace is going through something really hard, but the only option is going home with Miranda. So, Leah's just mad that, like, truly, Leah's just mad that Miranda didn't let Leah take Grace home. (laughs) It's so unfair to Miranda the way that Leah framed this. She says Miranda has such a bad attitude, and apparently the girls asked, said to Leah, Mommy, we asked Daddy why we couldn't go to your house, and he said it's not his fault. And Victoria's like, what? And what did Leah say that she told her girls? Leah says, and my remark to Gracie is, it is their fault. It is Corey Miranda's fault. Leah, girly. (laughs) And Victoria's like, yeah, you should say that. You should say that. They snatched those kids away from you. Leah also says that she thinks Corey and Miranda are punishing her in an attempt to push Leah out of the picture and out of the girls' lives. Leah is living in la-la land. Oh, my God. Leah saying to the girls that it's, it's Corey and Miranda's fault that the girls are living there now is so next level, so inappropriate. She does not give a fuck about the well-being of those girls. She loves those girls. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Leah doesn't love those girls. She loves them in a very selfish way. She loves them so much that she wants them to be around her all of the time, whether that's good or bad for them. And she is completely incapable of seeing at this moment of time what is good or bad for them. And she is so selfish and tunnel visioned that the only thing that she thinks is good is that those girls live with her 24-7 and never see their dad again, as far as she's concerned. The funny thing is, she thinks that Corey and Miranda are trying to push her out of their lives, and I think it's because she wants to push Corey and Miranda out of their lives. So she assumes that's how they feel about her. But I don't think they feel that way. I don't think they've ever felt that way, that Leah's just going to be out of their lives if they push hard enough. I don't, I think they knew that was never going to happen. They know Leah loves her girls. And it's never going to be a thing where Leah doesn't see the girls as long as she's like doing semi-okay. Ay, ay, ay. So Miranda has her baby two months early. Leah sees this on Facebook from Jeff and is showing the girls the pictures. And she's like, they really should have called to tell you, which I agree, right? Like, 
I understand a lot is going on, but they probably should have called and let the girls know before Jeff was posting on Facebook. And then Leah, like, starts to get amped. Like, she's getting amped that this baby was born early. And she goes, you know, girls, it's really hard having a baby in general. But it's really hard having a baby early. So I'll reach out to your daddy and I'll see if he needs help with you guys. I'll ask your daddy if you can stay with me for a while. Leah, stop. (laughs) Uh, And Corey said no. He said no. Leah calls her cousin, Chastity, to tell her about this. And she says, you know, I'm happy for them. But Corey's really hurt my feelings because I offered to help with the girls knowing that they had a baby that's two months early. He, his wife's in the hospital and he told me he didn't need my help. Wouldn't it be easier to allow the mother of your children to take them? I'm available and capable to take them. And I'm like, here's the key, the key thing. You're not capable to take them, actually. You've proven that you're not capable to take them. That's why you don't have them, because you're not capable of it. It's, once again, Corey hurt my feelings. Me, 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 me. I love the girls. I want to be around the girls. So that's the only thing that is right and true. Absolutely no other perspective. Oh, my gosh. Leah says Corey's trying to control her. And I'm like, but were you trying to control Corey when you had primary custody? I, I don't think you would have said that. She's like, whenever I had Addie, I didn't I didn't hesitate to say, hey, do you want the girls? And it's like, well, because you can trust Corey and Corey can't trust you. That's the difference. And this is when she says, honestly, my biggest fear is Corey is going to try and continue to try and push me out of the girls' lives. <sighs> so Leah has the girls and they have to get Allie to choir practice. And look, I really don't think it's a huge, huge deal. If you get your kids late to places occasionally, right? But I will say my mom is like a late person, which is why I'm a very punctual person because it like really gave me anxiety as a child. But when you have lost custody, primary custody of your children, because you cannot get them places on time and you are trying to have a judge reconsider this and give you 50-50, one would think that you would make an enormous effort to be places on time. An enormous effort. But, nope. <laughs> Leah's super late for this choir practice. She's like, it took so long to get the to get Allie in her uniform. Okay, so why not plan ahead for that? Why not have the uniform all ready to go? Get Allie in it two hours early. Oh, my goodness. Um. So Leah's in the car, like, so stressed out, being like, fuck, fuck we're late. She's smoking a cig with the girls in the car. (laughs) And then she realizes she forgot Allie's tie, like part of the uniform. I don't know why she didn't just say, fuck it. I'm assuming this was a choir performance because she's wearing like a little choir outfit. And she's like, fuck, we have to turn around. So they go home and she, she's in the driveway and she's like rummaging through shit and she finds the tie like in the car But Leah has so much shit everywhere that she didn't know was in there. And while this is happening, this is truly one of my favorite moments in Teen Mom history. Gracie gets out of the car. She runs into the house. (laughs) She grabs her cat. (laughs) She comes out of the house. She falls holding the cat and does like a tuck and roll with the cat. Hops back up. Run, run, runs into the car. 
and has the cat with her. As Leah is like cursing and being like, Allie, what the fuck? Why was this tie here? Like so fucking mad. Oh my God. And Allie's like, Grace, you can have the cat. And she's like, mm-hmm. and she's hiding the cat. She's like sitting up like with the cat behind her. Uh, Allie and Gracie are just laughing their little heads off. And Leah just does not see this cat. So they get to the choir practice and that's when Leah notices it. And she's like, Gracie, you know your cat can't come here. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So it's raining. They're so late. She gets the girls out of the car and... Gracie's like, Mommy, your window's open. And Leah's like, well, at least the cat will get some damn air. (laughs) Oh, gosh. So Corey is there. He still has, like, the hospital bracelet on. Like, he obviously left the hospital to be there. And they have the choir practice. And Leah has the nerve to say, Allie did great, great at choir, but I'm upset that Corey refused my help and is taking the girls home with him. Girl. You just showed up significantly late to rehearsal or whatever this fucking was. And you want Corey, who got cussy because you can't get the girls anywhere on time safely, to then let you take them back and take them to school the next day? It's not happening. It's not happening. She lives in La La Land. So Corey's talking to the girls about Remy and Allie's like, I can't wait to see Miranda. And they're so happy about the baby. And... I just, Leah getting the girls to choir so late, being so fucking stressed out while doing it, and then being upset that Corey won't, like, take them home is just, like, peak Leah at this time. But that scene of Gracie, like, holding the cat, running out of the house, falling, popping back up, and, like, running into the car is so funny. Oh, gosh, I loved it. All right, guys, well, that's it for this week. If you want to hear more from me, patreon.com slash Liz Explains. I talk about a ton of fun topics on there. Come listen. And yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Like I said, I'm not totally sure what I'm going to do next week, but we'll see when I post. Okay, bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.